0: Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program.
1: Charlotte Mason and Worldview Formation, by Becky Aniel.
0: In a Charlotte Mason education, we rely on books, not a teacher or a set of tools or textbooks, not only to inspire interest in the subject, but also to ignite and shape our children's imaginations, invite imitation of the good, true, and beautiful, and imbibe fruitful ideas that cause them to grow as persons. But have you ever wondered if a Charlotte Mason education is providing a Christian worldview? After all, most of the books in Charlotte Mason's programs and in most Charlotte Mason curricula aren't written by Christians and Charlotte Mason certainly didn't seem in favor of study guides that help students analyze the worldview of a book. Now, to some of you, Christian worldview screams study guides and textbooks and picking apart every word until we're left with just the facts. Others of you may think that you'll cover that whole Christian worldview thing in a couple of cultural philosophy books in high school. Maybe something by Francis Schaeffer or James Sire. But what if I told you that in the last 20 years, the whole concept surrounding what is a worldview has been completely redefined? In-depth scholarly research reveals that forming a worldview has little to do with asking big philosophical questions or analysis of facts. Surprised? And what if I also told you that Charlotte Mason already had it right 120 years ago? Not surprised? So let's briefly answer the question, what really is a worldview? And then we can see how Charlotte Mason all along provided the answer on how to help your children form a Christian worldview throughout their education before they face the adult world. I think most of us have this vague idea that a worldview is like glasses we put on when we want to answer life's big questions and culture's big problems. We look through Christian lenses and analyze a given situation or philosophy through our worldview. To most people, worldview means a thinking or analyzing tool. We speak of worldview thinking, worldview analysis— and the Christian mind. And honestly, that's how we've been taught to understand worldview. The homeschooling parents of today, children of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, grew up in a world in which that was the accepted definition of worldview. Scholars like Nancy Piercy, James Sire, and Francis Schaeffer defined worldview in terms of mental analysis. In the first several editions of The Universe Next Door, a basic worldview catalog, a classic on the topic of worldview first published in 1976, James Sire defined worldview as a set of presuppositions. However, in recent years, this understanding has come under attack. Theologians and philosophers alike have argued that humans aren't brains on a stick. Our love's not merely our thoughts, drive our actions. And, of course, C.S. Lewis so famously said this very thing in his Abolition of Man, the head rules the belly through the chest. Facts and syllogisms just won't cut it in a crisis because they don't reach our affections. In 2002, alongside these critiques, David Noggle wrote the most comprehensive study on worldview to date, in his Worldview, the History of a Concept, which instigated a scholarly mentality shift regarding the definition of worldview. In this book, he argues from history and scripture that worldview must be reinterpreted in light of the doctrine of the heart rather than viewed as a philosophical tool for evaluating reality. The heart, he argues from scripture, is the integration point of the mind, will, and affections. It is the central, defining element of the human person. In light of the valid critiques and Nagel's seminal work in this area, James Sire changed his definition of worldview in the 5th, 2009, and following editions of The Universe Next Door to a fundamental orientation of the heart. He furthermore says that he considers philosopher Charles Taylor's term social imaginaries an equivalent term for worldview. Okay, one last bit of the definition puzzle before we get back to Miss Mason. Charles Taylor defines social imaginaries as ways people imagine their social existence and says that a social imaginary is often not expressed in theoretical terms, but is carried in images, stories, and legends. He explains that social imaginaries are not merely intellectual, but are relational and normative. How people imagine their existence in relationship with others. A social imaginary, or worldview, relies on the imagination to find and maintain relationships. If the heart is the central part of a person, the seat of the mind, will, and affections in unity, the imagination is what connects the dots between the mind, will, and affections. The imagination is the mind's eye, or as some scholars have better said, it is the eyes of the heart. It creates a picture that engages more than just our minds, The imagination works through literary images and, by extension, stories, to engage the whole heart to make the vital connection between mind, will, and affections. Unlike plain facts, stories make us want to know. Stories, not facts and analysis, orient the heart to form a worldview. Worldview is about making connections in our hearts. We could say this another way. Worldview is all about relations, and the relations are made through story. Now, for those of us in the Charlotte Mason community, this sounds awfully familiar. If worldview is actually an orientation of the heart formed through story and not an analysis tool, then how do we help our children form a Christian worldview? Hint, it's neither by using books written only by Christians, nor by merely reading a few books on the topic of worldview so that we know how to analyze culture. Charlotte Mason gives us the answer. She says that children should be reading stories, and not just any old stories, but stories informed with the ideas proper to the subject of which it treats, and possessing certain literary qualities able to bring that sensible delight to the reader. And what is an idea, according to Charlotte Mason? It is the image or picture formed by the mind of anything external, and moreover, a spiritual germ endowed with vital force with power, that is, to grow and to produce after its kind. It is a live thing of the mind. She further says that any teaching which does not leave the child possessed of a new mental image has by so far missed its mark. She desires that lessons leave a mental picture behind and leave the student's imagination warmed. Notice also that teachers are to choose books that procure not just any mental image, but those that contain ideas proper to the subject. Those books that excite a desire toward things lovely, honest, and of good report. Books are to have the fit and beautiful expression of inspiring ideas and pictures of life. These types of books. Spark a vital image in the student's mind through which the child is able then to generalize, classify, infer, judge, visualize, discriminate, labor in one way or another with that capable mind of his. Through these books, the student will grow to personally have relations with all that there is in the present, all that there has been in the past. And all that there will be in the future, with all that is above us and all about us. In other words, the ideas that make up a child's education, those vital images in fit and beautiful books, give the child the power to have relationships with the world around, past, present, and future. His heart is oriented. The key to worldview formation then, in Charlotte Mason's philosophy, lies in ideas, those proper mental images procured by lovely quality stories, what we call living books. When we feed our children's imaginations on living books containing images that point them toward the good, true, and beautiful we're doing more towards forming their Christian worldview than any textbook of worldview facts or any study guide about worldview analysis. Write again, Miss Mason. Imagine that.
1: About the author. Becky Aniel is a wife, keeper of the home, and mother of four children, ages 4 to 15. She has a Ph.D. in Christian Education from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where she focused her studies on the Christian imagination. She has homeschooled her children from the beginning, but providentially discovered Charlotte Mason in 2012 during her master's degree when she was assigned Volume 6 for class discussion. She and her family recently moved from Texas to Douglasville, Georgia, Becky writes and speaks at conferences on education, family discipleship, and the Christian imagination, and leads expository women's Bible studies in her local church.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.